Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. It's been 31 years since we had a Battle of Alberta. And of course, we have one of the best playoff games we've ever seen. Like 9-6, the goals, the chirps, the fans going off. Like, I, I, I wake up early. I know you wake up early, too. It was worth staying up late to watch that game. Can I make a confession? Of course you can. I went to bed when it was 5-1. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. Wow. I, mean, I don't believe you. I got to wake up. We got the pod. I got, you know, my work for North Star bets to do today. I was just thinking, like, I'm going to get a head start on tomorrow. This game is all but done. What could I possibly miss by going to bed right now? Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. That's okay. I watched the highlights, but, like, it's just not the same because, obviously, the joy of a game like that is thinking one team's totally out and then seeing it get back to 6-6 early in the third period. I mean – had I got had I started to see the comeback, I wouldn't have went to bed. But I just I didn't. I thought Jacob Markstrom, you know, the Flames got this in the bag. They're at home. My buddy James Watt, shout out Coburg, one of my OGs, was at uh-huh. the game. He was texting me. He's like, "It's crazy here. Everyone's having fun." Like it just it felt like it was all going Calgary's way, and so I went to bed early, and that was my mistake. Well, look, okay, you're a working. I mean, we're both working men, but you are a working man. You do have a column in uh, North Star Bets, which we will get to. Uh, along with other stuff that you might not have gotten to during your uh, appearance on the SDP on Wednesday. I watched. Very entertaining. But, yo, like, that comeback. I was going to go to bed early, too. I was like, okay, the Flames have this in the bag. This is ridiculous. I mean, Mike Smith getting getting pulled. Miko Koskinen going in. Like, this game should be over. But when you have Connor McDavid on your team and he's able to do stuff like that, he had a four-point night. You can never feel as if a game is completely out of it, especially when you have a healthy Connor McDavid. Fair. We almost need to like install an alarm system in my house where like if something like this happens, you can just press it from Montreal and wake me up and I'll be like, oh, man, this, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> although you could probably use that for like the wrong purposes to, to mess with me. So maybe that's not such a good idea. But I will say this. I'm very much like when I go to a sporting event, I never leave early. Like I am very much in. You know, if you go there, you're there to watch and like you never know what could happen. Um, you know, I even think back like this is I don't know why this thought jumps in my mind, but there's remember there's in the bubble. There's that one Leafs Blue Jackets game where the Leafs scored like three goals to tie it. I remember and, like, the last it was like with the, all of them with the goalie pulled. I think it was in the last two minutes, like even in a playoff game, you know, people would have left. I was at that Boston Leafs 2013 game where it was four one, like three, three or four thousand people left the rink that night and never saw the Bruins come back and their overtime win live. And so for those reasons, I wouldn't leave early had I been at that game at the Saddle Dome. Although maybe if I had a, had my typical Saddle Dome experience, maybe I might have been forced to leave early. <laughs> the real ones know what that's about. But, uh, the real ones know. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, in this case, when you're just sitting at home, you know, it just felt like a good opportunity to get an extra hour of sleep. Oh, look, I think if you pay the money to go to a playoff game, what's the point of leaving? Like, you might as well just take in the entire experience, even if it's going bad. Because, like, again, you never know what could happen in these games. Plus, like, it's just fun to just be there for the entire game. That's how well, I, I think. 
I think a lot of people feel like I would have felt last night, except they're at the game. They're like, oh, we can get out before the traffic's crazy. We can get home a little earlier. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Like, you know, I, I get how you feel that way, but I feel like if you've already made the effort to acquire tickets, to physically go to the arena, to pay $22 for a beer or whatever it is, and, and sit in the seats, you might as well stay there to the end just in case you see something you would never expect to see happen. Whereas my level of commitment wasn't that high. I clicked a few buttons on a remote and was watching the game and texted with my buddy James. And that was that was about the extent of my, you know, what I had to do to, to have that entertainment. And so I think it's easier to pull the shoe when you haven't put as much in as, as you know, someone who actually went to the game. Yeah, but but like seriously, for people who get to cover that series, I know Pierre Lebrun has made his way down to Alberta to cover it. Uh, I'm thinking of my man Avery Lewis McDougal, Solemn Volgi, your fellow Even colleague Amber's at TSN. There, I saw. Man, Kelly Rudy's there too. Haley Salvian, Daniel Nugent Bowman. This is the series to cover. Like I know I'm hyped for the Florida series, but the Battle of Alberta already off one game is unlike anything we've seen in these playoffs so far. And it's going to get really fun. I I can't imagine how Daryl Sutter must be feeling even after a nine six win. Like well, he had his he had his dry sense of humor intact. That's what I liked. You know, I saw the quote about oh we missed the convert and you know I, I instructed the players to score seven to ten goals to to win the game because we thought they'd score five to eight. I mean, I I love a good Daryl Sutter line. I mean, I don't know if you remember this way back in the day when Daryl coached the Kings. John Rosen was the LA Kings insider at the time. And mm-hmm. he would he would transcribe all of Daryl's like his back and forth with the media and put it out there just like just a, a transcript of it. And if I ever saw that flip by when I was on Twitter, I'd always click it and read it. Like I didn't care what was going on with the Kings at that moment, but I just knew there would always just be priceless back and forths and strange references. And there, like I, I have not figured out Daryl Sutter, but I I appreciate the way he approaches the the media. I find it actually pretty hilarious. So. Going back to the fans for a second here, if you're at that game and you're enjoying yourself and you're watching the Battle of Alberta unfold, and all of a sudden Brady Kachuk of the Ottawa Senators comes towards you and starts giving you high fives and you notice the two beers in his back pockets, how are you reacting? Oh, I'd love it. Like, yeah. I, I actually, I have to be honest here. I don't understand. I don't know. Why is anybody on the other side of this? Like, Brady Kachuk hasn't had a game to play for the Ottawa Senators in three weeks. You know, he's allowed to, to go to other hockey games. Like, I actually know it's – this happens every playoffs. I guarantee you he was not the only other current NHLer in the building. Now, he was the only one wearing kind of a Matthew Kachuk red T-shirt and, and pounding beers openly and whatever. Like, a lot of guys maybe have a cut a lower profile in that situation. But, like, players know each – you know, they've got buddies on the teams. They're, they're just back home and, you know – starting their off season, you know, maybe not back into workout mode yet. Like it's completely normal to go and enjoy a game uh, in the stands as a current NHL player. I, I see no issue with it. The fact that it's his brother, like how could anybody tell you, you you wouldn't support your brother? You know, you don't think Matthew Kachuk situations reverse wouldn't be in Ottawa watching that game. Like, I, I just think it's silly that someone would suggest otherwise, like you're, you're supposed to be a robot with only, allegiance to one thing and that's the, the the crest on the front of the jersey and you can have no life or no other thoughts or no like it's insane like I, there's not even to me there's not even a counterpoint here it's it's crazy to say that he shouldn't be cheering for his brother or even and, if he's cheering for the flames even if he's the world's biggest flames fan i don't see that as an issue like i don't think he's going to throw a game against the flames next year no the wild thing about this topic because i'm i'm with you i think it's cool to see that he's supporting his brother and his family's all there watching the games and like I put that out there and like 99% of the comments I got were all thinking the same thing. Like 
you know, this is like a great show of salt, like of, of support from the family. He's supporting his brother. I've only really seen like one person. I'm not going to like mention their name, but like I've only seen one person kind of disagree with it. And even them, they said like, it's just weird. They didn't like full on condemn it. Like it's a, it's a really cool thing to see. Well, what's weird is, you know, it's not all that common that you have brothers in the NHL. Like I know we can all think of a number of circumstances, but it's not like, every set of brothers plays in the league. And, you know, in this case, they both play for Canadian teams. They're both really good players, sort of prominent players in their markets. And so it gets a little more attention. Um, but as I say, I don't find this strange at all. And, you know, I told the story, I think the last pod, like I know this one jumps to my mind. James Van Reems like was on the ice when, when the Blackhawks won and his brother Trevor in 2015 won the Stanley cup. And like, I would, now he wasn't wearing a Jersey and running around with a bunch of beer, but, you know, that's maybe more of a personality difference than, than you know, he was keep, keeping a bit lower profile. But I, I don't see any issue with this. Look, Brady Kachuk just signed a long-term deal in Ottawa. He's the team captain. I doubt any of his teammates are thinking like, oh, he doesn't love us anymore. He's divided loyalties. I think what he's showing is that he, he actually is a tremendously loyal guy. Uh, he's loyal to the Senators when he's playing hockey for them. And when it's the offseason, he's loyal to his family. I, I see no – like, to me, it's not even – I don't, I don't see the other side to this. Like, this is like, it's great that he loves sports. It's great that he loves hockey enough that he bothers to go to a game. It's great that he loves his brother and his family enough that he, he supports them. And we've all known the Kachucks to some degree, if you've been, you know, if you've been watching them, like they're very fun loving guys They're a great family. Keith Kachuk's one of the legends of the sport. Um, you know, I just, I think it's a great thing. Like both brothers too, like they go, I know their sister plays at, at college, I think at field hockey. And like, if you've watched their Instagram and stuff, like they go to her games and like cheer for her and whoop it up. So I, I just think it's a great sign of solidarity for their family. And I, I hope he continues, honestly. I hope, I hope that, that the haters aren't, uh, aren't going to take over on this one. Like one hater too. Like literally like I've never seen hockey Twitter so in favor of one thing happening as much as I've seen this. This is like impressive in its own that it is not as much of a fight as it is. Like, right. it's just like, well, that's why I think it's really impressive. My brother-in-law is a season ticket holder of the senators and a long, <laughs> a long suffering, I'll say at this point, but diehard, he, he DM me this this morning. He's like, what a beauty he is. And it was just, you know, one of the videos of Brady that was going around. Like, I don't know. I don't, that's that's from someone who pays a lot of money or has paid over his time a lot of money to support the team. Like he doesn't see a problem with it. I mean, I I, I don't see an issue here at all. What about if it was like um, I tried to make the point to Canadians fans that like, what if like Nick Suzuki was supporting his brother Ryan, who's in the Carolina Hurricanes organization, and with those two fan bases, I know I'm not sure if you're as familiar, but those two seem to go back and forth online just because something about an offer sheet and spirit cock and you may or may not remember that, but yeah, there seems to be a lot of online animosity. And I think some people were trying to suggest to me that maybe that wouldn't work as well, but like, I think that's just ridiculous. Like I think it would like Nick Suzuki wouldn't care. And I like the idea that players are able to go support their siblings. If they're around the league, even if there might be like a weird, like rivalry thing going on, like you have it right. Be a human support your family. If they're there, have feelings. I like, I like the way you're looking at it. I don't care if it was some connection of Boston, Montreal, whatever, Toronto, Montreal, like any, whatever we deem these fierce rivalries, like 
look at we're all mostly luckily blessed enough to have families like I, I think it's sort of like family above all else in a sense like like what I mean let's face it what are what are what are sports teams I know we all if you're a fan of one put a lot of emotion into it but it's laundry man like it's it's a logo on the front of a of a sweater like it's it's not you know I I think blood trumps that in, in my mind. And so if, whether it's Nick Suzuki and his brother or whatever's gone on between like GM's past of those organ, like, I don't think that, I think that supporting your family is a pretty noble thing. And like, I really, I really like, I actually like seeing it from Brady. I think it's cool. So I, I'm, I'm not, on, I'm on the other side. Like not only do I think it's not a problem, I think it's actually awesome that he's been there and been that supportive high-fiving fans, drinking beers. Like how old is he? 21, 22 live your life, man. Enjoy it. Like these guys work hard. You know, he's going to spend his whole summer probably with Matthew working out, getting in shape, being ready when it comes time for camp. These guys have tremendously demanding lives and jobs. This is the one time a year. If your team is out of the playoffs, you can kind of relax a little bit. You know, he could be in like Cabo right now, but he's choosing to, to go to Calgary to be at these games. Like, I think it's great. I, you know, and that's not a shot at Calgary. I actually vacation in Calgary usually once a year, but I, I'm just saying that like I, I he could be doing anything and he's supporting his family. I think that's really cool. And he just so happens to be supporting his brother just as he's about to just as he's playing what could prove to be the po- the series of the postseason so far. It, again, game one, nothing short of entertainment value. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see another game like that, though. You know, like I know, and, but still, I don't mean just nine, six. Like I, it was just a strange like there's almost like if you were covering that series in a day-to-day manner, and I know that we're not doing that on the pod, like there's almost nothing to take out of that game that you would say, hey, this is a theme to to, to hit on here. Like Jacob Markson is one of the best goalies in the league. He couldn't stop a beach ball in that game. Like that's the reason there's a comeback, right? You know, Connor McDavid had some wonderful individual plays, but, you know, Calgary really overwhelmed them. And it just was such a strange game from top to bottom, Um you know, it's just, it's not going to be what, I don't think anything that happens there is going to decide the series other than the fact that Calgary's one win closer to pushing the Oilers into their summer. And so that's, that's the benefit to them, but that's just one of those ones that like, you just throw, you burn the tape or whatever, if you're the coach, you know, I actually got a chuckle seeing uh, Curtis McElhaney, the former NHL goalie said like prayers for the goalie coaches, like having to break that one down. Like it, it literally pucks just going through guys at both ends. Like even that very first goal on Mike Smith back when I was still awake, I was like, what is this? Elias Lindholm shot. Um, yeah, it wasn't a great night for the goalies. Tons of defensive turnovers. I could see on, on the big goals for Calgary at the end of the game after it got back to six, six. And, you know, the flames scored 13 goals in a seven game series, went over Dallas and they get nine the <laughs> next, you know, start the next round. I mean, what a, what a, what a wild time. I think this has been a cool year in the league, though. Like, we've hit on this trend. Like, I like that these games are coming in out of nowhere. A 9-6 game. We had a 10-7 game during the regular season. Like, it's fun. If you're in the building, like, I haven't reconnected with my buddy James. Was that the game? I bet you'll remember that game the rest of your life just because you don't go to the arena expecting to see 15 goals. Absolutely. Speaking of goals, I uh, figure it could be a topic of discussion when we bring on David Bastel from Sports Interaction. As always, if you're playing Sports Interaction – 19 plus and above. Uh, we ask that you play responsibly, and there is a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. Okay, let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, as if we don't do that enough on this show. How was it on the SDP yesterday? We started slow with the Leafs in the show, but we've we've been pretty hard hard Leafs the back half of the season, if we're being honest. Uh, it was yeah. awesome. 
you know, going over to Adam's house, checking out the studio again. Like everything was ex- what you'd expect. Adam's drinking a bubbly. Steve's, <laughs> Steve's <laughs> like all over the place. Like he, like he, he couldn't figure out what was going on. And then Jesse's just like locking shit down, like getting the camera set up calmly, just like working around the room, wearing his bunch of jerks t-shirt. But it was a, it was a good time. You know, it's so funny that that that's become like this thing where I always go when the season ends kind of by accident, like, like all good things, I guess I did it once and it kind of blew up and the, the fans have enjoyed having it back. And, you know, it's, it's a hard show to do because let's face it, everybody wants answers when a team is lost in the playoffs. It's, you know, it's 48, 72 hours later, everyone wants to know what's going to happen next. And, and, Obviously, there's some idea you, you get a few breadcrumbs dropped at, at things like the season ending media availability. But the truth is, is as we're talking right now, I'm sure the Leafs management and coaching staff is in various meetings and trying to plot their own course forward. So there's there's not always uh, great answers to be gleaned yet. Um, we did the staying or going game where I think I accidentally traded half the team like I literally just didn't I just sort of went off the thing. Um, so I'm sure my batting average won't be good when we look back on that one in September, but you know, it's a lot of fun being with those guys and I love the passion of the, the, you know, the people that love the SDP. And obviously those are the same people that have come over and embraced our show too. So I want to give those people the best I got when it, when it comes to the topic they're interested in. Absolutely. Also when Steve asked if I was staying or going, I really appreciate that you did not hesitate when you said staying. <laughs> wow. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> This show, I don't know. This show might be called the Chris Johnson show, but I don't know where it would be without Julian. So if you go, the whole sip goes down, I think. Uh, that's way too kind. But anyway, um, I, I don't, I know you kind of went in on a lot on that show. And I understand that there are people who uh, maybe no, don't necessarily watch the SDP, but they watch us. But it's not like we didn't talk about what the Leafs could or maybe won't do. Uh, on our last episode. So I don't want it to be too much of a rehash of those two episodes, but there are essentially two themes I kind of want to pick your brain about. And I want to start with the brain trust. So Sheldon Keefe, Kyle Dubas, and maybe you can include Brendan Shanahan in there. I'm just going to ask you straight up. Is it the right move to just have Keefe and Dubas back for next year? I would, I would definitely feel strongly that Kyle Dubas is the right GM to keep leading the team. You know, you look at any team that's had success, and, and I get that this is where everything gets murky with the Leafs. Some people are worried about their 55-year drought without a cup, which, you know, I'm not saying it's a fact, but, like, it has really nothing to do with the current day team. Did you say 55 years? Without a Stanley Cup win, yeah. That is I older think. than you. Dude, it's older than <laughs> It's older than like people that are like a half generation or two older than me. Like, it's like, like I wasn't even, just making a joke about your age. I know. Well, you, you like to do that. Um, so some people are worried about 55 years, which has nothing to do with this team. Some people are worried about 18 years of not winning a playoff series, which again, it's a fact. I'm not saying we shouldn't repeat it, but it's not like Kyle Dubas or Austin Matthews or even Morgan Riley can answer for 18 years. Some people are even still worried, and this is getting more fair, about the six years of the current group where they've lost a playoff round without winning one. But, you know, Kyle Dubas has been the GM now for four years, and that's and, and like the, the, the actual guy in the seat making the decisions. And I, I just think, and I understand where people are going to want to attack this vector. It's hard to say that the team hasn't gotten better under his watch, that he hasn't managed a very difficult cap situation well. 
um, that he hasn't still put them in a position every year to be a little bit better and have a better chance to win. And so I just think it takes time with a GM. If you're changing GMs every three years, like you never get to see a cycle of a program come through. I mean, I think the next thing you want to see if you're a Leafs fan or in ownership, I think you want to see a few more players graduate through the system. Um, you know, obviously the Leafs haven't been a team since they assembled this core where they've been picking that high in the draft, but you know, I think you want to see a few guys come up and play for the team and, and make a difference, you know, play on an entry level contract, which makes, you know, the, the, the cap situation a little bit more manageable. And so that, you know, that, again, that takes time. Like Dubas has only managed four drafts, right? So that's a fine move to me. I think that there's at least a conversation to be had about Sheldon Keefe, if only because let's face it, coaches really rather unfairly, frankly, get tossed aside all the time. This guy's regular season record is off the charts. Uh, I don't have the numbers, but it's, I know he was the fastest to win hundred regular season games in, in Leafs history. You know, the team's winning percentage is bonkers with him in the regular season. And so I, I think he's a good coach, but there is at least the argument to me that if you got to shock the system, that that's one area you could change. And you have guys like Barry Trotz out there, um, maybe Peter DeBoer, um, you know, I, 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 I could at least listen to that argument. It was pretty clear though. Kyle Dubas was asked directly about that and basically said, that's, that's not happening for him. And so as long as he's making the decisions, that's not going down. So I don't have as much problem with this as maybe some people might, there's naturally going to be changes to the roster. I mean, that that's, that's true of every team. I, I think there'll be a fair number when all is said and done here, like somewhere six to seven players that were playing in game seven uh, probably won't be back. And so Let's see how he manages that. You know, I think it's basically this is how I view the Leafs, Julian. Mm -hmm. They're so far down this path. I don't think they can completely reverse course. Like that would be silly. So I think you just keep doubling down on the bet. And if it doesn't pay off, I mean, you're going to have to do something dramatic at that point. But, you know, it's it's not as though they can start fresh at this stage. I I think that there's still a a big summer for for Kyle Dubas. I know this is sort of narrative that, this is like his Kawhi moment. You know, he might trade like DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi, like some version of that. I think it's a convenient, tidy narrative. I'm not sure it mirrors reality, but I do think that you'll see him be at least mildly bold this offseason. And so, yes, I think it makes sense to keep them because I don't know how you, if you start firing everybody, like what is a new GM going to do at this point? Like the new GM is going to want to like, you know, trade some guys for assets and take his time. It's like, well, they don't have time. Like that's one thing they don't have. Like if they don't sign these, these players to extensions, like they're, they're down to two to three years with this, this core to try to win. And so until you can get there's those players names on a contract extension, you're, you're kind of all in for next season. And I, I think it therefore makes sense to stick with the guys who know what have been going on. And just because you bring a coach back to start a season, we saw a lot of coaches thrown overboard midseason. So if things aren't going well, I think there's still an opportunity to make a change there if, if needed. Well, I'll offer a counterpoint with regards to having like a new GM, for example. Even if you have a new GM, maybe it's entirely possible that that new person might not want to completely overhaul the core. And we've seen it happen before where a new guy will come in and maybe they'll make those small changes or a big enough change and they'll win. Like Chris Drury could be an example in New York, for example, right? Jeff Gordon was there for as long as he was. The ownership got fed up. Chris Drury comes in. He makes the team tougher. 
they're in the second round of the playoffs right now. There are other teams I think you can look at as well. I mean, uh, what uh, Brian Burt comes in in Anaheim at a, pre- a pretty convenient time and helps the Anaheim Ducks get over the get over the top where they need to go to win the Stanley Cup. But that wasn't necessarily a team that he built from the ground up. But to me, that summer is next summer in Toronto. Like if if this if they don't take steps forward, if you, if you don't like where you're at a year from now, I think you look at it then because at that point, you know, Austin Matthews got a huge organizational decision looming on him. You know, I, I would give Dubis one more year. That's just that's just my view. I think most GMs should get at least five years in the seat before you can truly judge them. And, and so, I would say this of, of you know people running other teams too. This isn't just a Kyle Dubis view, but I actually I honestly. I find it hard for anyone to say he hasn't done a good job with, with what he's had. Now they haven't got over the top. You might say they need a little more toughness. They might need more of this, but like, you know, he's tried just about everything. And, and to me has shown a willingness to evolve his approach to the team building, right? Like there was the year he gets Joe Thornton and, and, you know, tries to, to load up with some older guys. I think they, they saw that didn't work this year. If you look at their additions, they're largely in sort of the age band, like, like 20 to 30, like Labushkin and like they, they brought in guys, you know, Bunting, Kasha, those guys are all 25, 26 years old. Uh, you know, I think that, that they've been, they, they're trying everything and, and it's hard to, again, all they're doing is they're, they're falling one game short in the playoffs. Like it's not like they sucked all year. If they sucked all year, this would be, I would be like, okay, it's time. Like this, this is a, a management group and a coaching staff that can't find answers. I would say there's evidence that they're finding answers they just haven't led to the, the big breakthrough that, that most people are waiting for. And so uh, look at, I'm reading all the hot take columns. I've been listening to some local radio here. Like I get it. It's so easy right now to be like, well, if you don't win, well then you got to win and you got to do stuff and you got to break everything apart. But, and I get that that's sort of like old school media. Like that's the way it always was. It's like, it's, it's either black or it's white and there's nothing you can't even consider. No in between. You can't even consider that they might actually be on the right path just because they they lost one extra game or they they didn't get a good call or they whatever. I'm not, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just looking at this logically, and logic goes out the window with sports sometimes. But they won a shit ton of games. They played the Lightning that close. They still have some of the best players in the league in their primes. I just think it makes sense to, to run it back with a lot of those guys and change around the fringes. Look, they have some decisions to make too, Julian. Like a guy like Jake Muzzin, I think is a decision only because of his age, you know, he makes 5.6 million. So if they were willing to move off that contract, that would be a way to, to maybe, you know, spread some resources around in, in their other depth positions. And, you know, they have other left shot defensemen, right? Morgan Riley's locked in long-term. You've got Rasmus Sandin, I think, ready for a bigger role. You know, Mark Giordano was very clear, at least to my ears, that he wants to stay here. Like, that could be that your three left shots in a world where you remove Muzzin from the equation. And, and like, look, they love Jake Muzzin. So that would be behind the scenes. Like, that maybe wouldn't get a big headline across the country, although it's the Leafs, so everything gets a big headline across the country. But if they were to, say, trade him, um, that would make a big change in the locker room because I know he's tremendously popular. Right? That would not be a decision they would reach easily. And, and you know, it's not one I'm going to say they're definitely going to reach either, but it's at least a possibility. I think it's something that they should consider. And so there's still going to be ways to change this team, I think, in a meaningful way um, that don't involve getting rid of like the guys that all scored 80 to 107 points and that don't involve firing a GM and a head coach that have won a whole ton of more games in this league than most of their, their peers over the last four seasons.
that's fair but i i also kind of like the the narrative uh of him of Kyle Dubas following in Masai Ujiri's footsteps. Masai Ujiri, by the way, not even the general manager of the Toronto Raptors, but still gets seen as the guy who, you know, executes those big deals. I think also of Alex Anthopoulos, if you want to go a couple of years even further back, a guy who realized the Jays were not making the play, had gone through all these losing years with the Jays and said, you know what, we're going to make a run of it this year. And he gave Jays fans, at least in the last like decade plus, some of the best years with those ALCS runs. Well, and let me make a, a reference for the olds out there, because I know this will predate your time. <laughs> but, you know, when I was a kid, the Blue Jays broke my heart every single year. 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91. They were always one of the best teams. They were in the playoffs multiple times in those years. You know, 88, they, they spit the bit. 87 in the last week of the regular season, like they should have made the playoffs. It looked like they were never going to get it done. And they made a, Pat Gillick made a huge trade for Roberto Alomar that changed the franchise. And he gave up at the time. Tony Fernandez, who might have been the best shortstop in baseball at the time, not named Cal Ripken, and Fred McGriff, you know, tremendously popular players. And Alomar, of course, became a baseball Hall of Famer and, and was one of the real drivers of their, their two World Series wins. I mean, there's, there's, there are a lot of examples of that through time. And I think there's some misunderstandings, in a sense, about Kyle Dubas. Like, he is a nice guy. I think he's very humane. I think he deals with players in a way, you know, it's probably some of it's just age-related. Like, he's, he's less old school because he's not old. So he has, he has a different way of approaching things, but he's as competitive as anyone. And, you know, talking to those that have worked with him, he can be hard on people too. And so I think he's got it in him to, to do something. Like, I don't think he's just going to take the nice way or whatever. Like, I, I think that there's still, there's still a chance he does something dramatic here. And the other thing I'd point out to you as well is, you know, he, we might be seeing it already. Like Kyle Dubas goes way back with Jack Campbell. Like I'm talking somewhere in a neighborhood of 15 years, maybe not quite that much, like 13, 14 years. Like they've known each other a long, long time. And if you know Jack Campbell, you love Jack Campbell. Like that's just a fact. You probably could sense that even from afar, the way his teammates gravitate towards him. On the media day, this kind of went under the radar a little bit because there's so much to talk about. Someone said, is it a priority to sign Jack Campbell? You know, someone you've known for a long time after the season he had. And he said, I've known, yes, I've known Jack a long time. I just see him like Ilya Mikheyev and Mark Giordano and Ilya Lubchkin and all the other players. And like, he basically said it's not a priority in, in a roundabout way or that he's no more important than any of our players who might walk. It, you know, mm -hmm. it basically depends on how much money he wants to make. You know, again, from afar, you might think that's not a big change, but like, that's the Leafs starting goalie this year. And there's big questions. Like, what do they do next if, if they move on from Campbell? I thought... Look, it might have just been a hard line in the sand, almost just like, you know, knowing that Jack Campbell and his agent are going to see that quote. Maybe they're like, ooh, maybe they're actually willing to walk away. Like it might be part of the larger negotiation that's going on. But, you know, that would be a sign, for example, of it's not exactly uh, trading DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi. But, you know, if they let Jack Campbell walk, that, I mean, I would say that's a, a relatively big surprise because Jack Campbell is beloved by his teammates. You heard the Sioux chants at Scotiabank Arena. And again, because there's a long personal history there, you know, Kyle Dubas knew him before either was in the OHL. Then he trades for him when he's with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, trades for him with the Maple Leafs from L.A. back in February 2020. If he just lets him walk, um, that, you know, I, I think we're, we might see some. That's what I mean. Even Jake Muzzin, like, like if that would be another example where that's someone that they love, where there's a long history. You know, he might have to make a difficult decision with some of these guys or multiple ones and and. That, that might sort of reshape the way things look for the organization as well. 
By the way, now's a good time to plug uh, your latest with North Star bets. Why sentiment won't factor in Jack Campbell's Maple Leafs future, which you can read online. And you you do go into all of this. I still can't believe for, I mean, I guess considering how his career has gone, it does explain why his career earnings have been essentially under 10 mil. Uh, but I can't imagine a scenario where he doesn't ask for plenty money, whether it's from the Leafs or anyone else. Well, look, Jack Campbell was an 11th overall draft pick 12 years ago. And really, this was this was actually the first in the, of the 12 years since that time where he was played more than half his team's games in the NHL. And frankly, for like seven of those years, he was basically stuck in the American Hockey League, went down to the ECHL for a time, looked like a looked like a bust, frankly. We don't see goalies get chosen as high as 11th overall too often. And so when they do, I mean, Jack Campbell won everything for Team USA as, as a teenager. It was like the under 18s, the under 17s, the world juniors. Like this guy was a can't miss prospect. Took him a long time to get here. And so as a result of that, yes, like relative to his peers, he's not made a lot of money and he's in a great spot right now. The last two seasons, he has the 10th best save percentage in the league among goaltenders, 11th and wins, you know, basically any of these, some of the, the more underlying uh, statistics for goaltending, but like goals saved above expected. He's in about that range, you know, roughly 10th to 15th in the league. Basically, I would argue then a top half for the last two seasons anyway, NHL starter. And look, there might be age questions related to him because he's 30. There could be some durability questions in there. He's, he's had some injuries. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk that teams are going to line up at his door on July 13th when free agency opens. But, you know, if you look at there's four goalies that I can identify that signed for 5 million and above that I think he's got reasonable comparisons to, you know, Cal Peterson in LA got 5 million. Uh, Linus Allmark, when he went to Boston in free agency last year, got 5 million on a four-year deal. Uh, 5 million went to UC Saros, you know, probably in hindsight, UC could have probably pushed for more. I think he's, you know, above this tier of the goalies I'm mentioning. And Elvis Merzlikens got 5.4 million from Columbus on his extension. And so, if you look at the career numbers to the points where those guys started those games, again, sort of removing sorrows from the group. Um, I think that Jack Campbell's got a case to ask for 5 million minimum. And I don't know if the Leafs can pay him that. Certainly, unless they're able to unload Peter Mrazek's contract, it's hard to imagine them signing him for that kind of money. So, you know, it, this looks like it could be headed towards a divorce, but the, the one asterisk I'll put there is that I, I think this is also somewhere where the Leafs are going to be looking at a multitude of changes. And so maybe long before it gets to the free agency day, they've, they've shed some salary or made some other moves that make this easier to stomach. Um, but as it stands right now, like Jack Campbell was speaking to Toronto media on Tuesday and he's, he's like, you know, I just can't wait to see what the team looks like next season and how I can get better. You know, I love being a leaf. I love Toronto. It's like, man, I, you know, the way it's looking right now, I, I just, it doesn't appear to me like it's headed for him staying here unless Again, there's there's some kind of larger change that we don't know yet net yet know about. And there are goalies who will be available on the unrestricted free agent market this summer, guys. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury could be a possibility. I'd be surprised if Darcy Kemper ends up leaving from Colorado with Billy Huso out in St. Louis. I'd also be surprised with that too. But Brain with the way Holby. Jordan Brain Holpe as well, Martin Jones. Murky, yeah. Yeah, there, there are options for many a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs to take advantage of. Yaroslav Alak is probably not going to be back in Vancouver as well. Yeah, there, there are options for, for guys to, you know, move from address to address and for teams to solidify their goaltending. And it's it's such a roll of the dice. Like, I look at what like Carolina did last summer, right? They brought in two new goalies, Frederick Anderson, Antti Ranta. You know, they had a great season, and, and most of it was with Frederick Anderson and Ned. He gets injured. You know, now here they are in the playoffs. Antti Ranta's playing the big games. 
Like it, I would say, at least to this point, it's worked out. But, you know, Rod Brindamore, uh, I remember him speaking during the All-Star Weekend in Vegas, was saying, like, he was nervous about that heading into the year. Just as a, as a coach, you know, like you have a team that's been really good, really good to great even, frankly, the last couple seasons. Uh, and But you go in with two new goalies. You just don't know how that's going to go. And and there is a there is a world here where the Leafs trade Mrazek and maybe still don't aren't able to re-sign Campbell or choose not to re-sign Campbell. They could be bringing in two new goalies with a team again that that they think is very good that they've shown themselves to be very good, but you just don't know with goalies, man. That old goalies or voodoo thing is is I think it's real, and you know it's it's a huge such a huge summer for Toronto. I mean, it goes without saying in a sense, but like this this really could be the last dance if it doesn't go well. Now, flip side is maybe this season goes awesome. Maybe they don't win a cup, but they win a couple playoff rounds. They re-sign Matthews, and then there's many, many more dances. But this is sort of like this is like the last guaranteed dance is maybe the the best way to put it. And and so there's there's huge stakes riding on the decisions that get made. Man, we're throwing around the last dance label a lot since that documentary. That documentary, I love that us. doc, man. Me too. I should I rewatch it. it. I only watched it at the start of the pandemic, like when it was when it was live. Is the only time I essentially watched it. It was that was literally all we had. Like every year we're going to bring that up now that we're, that's just going to be like a callback to a time when there was no like sports, original sports programming on other than that. Like it was wild. Do you remember that they closed golf courses in Ontario? Well, they closed them in Quebec too. I mean, they, I mean, everything was closed. Like, I think we're going to look back and be like, somehow they closed golf courses. Like that was the answer. I think actually it got to a point, I think, when they when Quebec slowly started opening things up, golf might have been one of the few things people could do, if I recall correctly. In, in Toronto, they chained up the basketball nets in the, the yes. public courts. Like they like they like put zip ties through or whatever. So like you couldn't shoot on the hoop. Like they yeah. took the nets down from the tennis courts. Like uh, it's uh, yeah, anyway. There's a lot I mean, of I'm stuff just saying, there. like the one thing we should have been telling people is obviously keep your distance. I get why you can't go to bars and restaurants. Like, I understand that. No one's vaccinated. We don't know. The, but, but like prioritizing some physical health probably isn't the worst thing that we all could have been doing for anyway. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't well, want to go into that part, like open that part of my brain. It's like, it's a rock. I don't want to look under again. I have another documentary recommendation since we did mention the blue Jays. Uh, I don't know if you watch stuff on SB nation a lot. No, but I will. Um, meet Dave, Captain Ahab, the story of Dave Steve. I'm a big fan of John Boyce and uh, some of the content that he does. And he does this entire look back. I think with, uh, I think Alex Rubenstein is his name. They do a look back of Dave Steve's career of how he goes from this journeyman who was never pitched in the minors, who ends up turning into the Blue Jays ace. There's like three, like four or five parts in the series. It's worth your time to kind of go through whenever you have time. I would love it. I mean, thanks for the reco. And honestly, Dave Steve, the only Jays pitcher to throw a no hitter still to this day, which is actually pretty mind boggling given the pitchers they've had and, and uh, how long the, the organization has been around for. So uh, he was, he was a menace back in the day. Yeah. And they go in on all of his like near misses with the no hitters too. Cause that's also yeah. marked his career. I actually saw something this his daughter was tweeting about that documentary and like said, she showed it to her dad and stuff. So I should uh, I should look it up. Actually, like not to go too much into it, but like the the way the the way it starts is I think they start from a game where Roy Halladay's pitching and he's on the verge of getting a no hitter, and then 
the it's, it's ruined essentially by a home run that goes into the dugout. I think goes okay. off part of the dugout and into Dave Steve's hands. Oh, do you know what's funny? If I'm not mistaken, that might have been Roy Halladay's first career start or second career start. Trying to remember. It was it was early in his career, yes. And the reason it was supposed to be Roger Clemens' start like the last day of the season, but they just didn't bother pitching him because it didn't matter. And and against the Tigers, if I like I actually remember that game. I'm a weirdo. I I love the Blue Jays. Like they've they've been one of my lifelong loves. It's like the Blue Jays, Tiger Woods, peanut butter, you know. Peanut butter. Okay. We, we never really went into your peanut butter. Uh, well, I'm just saying life. it's like one of the few things I loved when I was like six years old that I still love today. I mean, I don't eat a ton of peanut butter, but I still appreciate peanut butter. Most of your tastes evolved, Julian, but some tastes don't. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Like that's, that's one of the ones that stuck with me. We also, at some point, either this summer or whenever, we need to take in a Jays game together. In, brother. In. Let's do it. All right. So that does it for Leafs Corner. That satisfies the particular fan base who loves the Leafs. Uh, there were some coaching news and notes that happened earlier this week that we did not get to in the last episode. Sure. Pete DeBoer standing out as the biggest of all of them. Uh, of, he is no longer the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. I did a podcast with Ian Mendez earlier this week for the Athletic Hockey Show, and this question kind of came up with regards to him. Has he gotten this label of a coach who can get a team to the playoffs, but not necessarily the guy you need to take you over the top and win the Stanley Cup, even though he's been to a Stanley Cup final before? Well, he's been to two, you know, and the New Jersey team he took there in 2012, I think it was. Like that that team, I shouldn't say that, not that they had no business being there, but like the fact they were there was an achievement um, and, you know, ultimately lost to the Kings in that series. You know, I, I – think with San Jose too. He took San Jose farther than that organization's ever been. And they had so many great teams over the years, so much regular season success. Um, you know, even with Vegas, isn't it two conference finals sort of Barry Trotz like feeling, you know, this just underlines how difficult the business is. I, I think the coaches often get the short end of the stick. You know, you, you might, and I don't just mean you pejoratively, all of us might look at that record and say, Oh, you can't get your team over the top. I look at that record and say, like, man, this guy's a good coach who consistently gets teams really deep. You know, it would be hard for me to look at what happened with the Golden Knights this season and pin it on coaching. Um, you know, I, I don't know how well that roster was managed, quite frankly. Obviously, there's injuries, which, you know, every team, you're going to have some off years with that stuff. That it's, it's almost nobody's fault. It's just sort of the luck of the draw or bad luck of the draw. Um, and I would think that Pete DeBoer, well, Sounds like he's maybe not necessarily in a rush to go coach somewhere else. I would think we're going to see him coach somewhere else because he's always got results um, wherever he's been and he's a good coach. And, and so I don't, I would think in Vegas, they're going to go with someone pretty experienced. Doesn't seem to me like this is a job for, for the next up and comer. They're not looking for sort of the, the Sheldon Keith model, for example, that Toronto's gone for, you know, I, I wonder about Joel Quenville um, you know, I've, I've heard some sort of like, could John Tortorella go there? Mm. Uh, Barry Trotz makes some sense. You know I mean? Like, I think, I think you're going to see them go with a veteran hire. You know, the biggest issue still with Quenville is, is it's not clear if he's able to take a job in the NHL, if a team wants to hire him, you know, it's a bit, bit murky on that front. Um, but you know, I think that there could be a, there could be a strong fit there. Uh, if he is, you know, if the league does deem him able to, to coach. 
And man, we're dealing with this all kinds of openings everywhere, right? Barry Trotz has already interviewed in, in Winnipeg. You know, I think that there's high interest from the Jets end of things to to bring a Manitoba boy home. Uh, Barry's mm-hmm. from Dolphin, Manitoba, and obviously bringing an experienced coach. I mean, they're at it. They're at sort of a a crossroads. It would appear with their core. You know, I know we talked a bit about it after their their locker cleanout, but I, I would expect a sizable move. To, to come to that core this offseason and bringing in the, that kind of coach. You know, the one thing the Jets have not consistently been able to do, this this dates back to even Paul Maurice's time, is defend well. You know, it seems like a lot of their good results were driven by, you know, having an elite offensive team for, for stretches of time. And then obviously Connor Hellebuck has been one of the better goalies in the league. And so when you've, when you've matched those two things together well, that that's worked. But you know, they, it hasn't been sustainable because of their defensive play. Well, you know, what's Barry Trotz done? He's He's been a pretty good defensive coach. Uh, you know, his Nashville teams, you know, had that that sort of vibe around them. I know in Washington, it was more finding a way to, to keep the stars happy and get them play that way. And then obviously the Islanders bought into that. And so I, I, I love the fit there. I just, I don't know if Barry Trotz, I mean, he's a guy with a lot of options. I'm not sure if that's the job he'll jump at. But the fact he took an interview at least says that, uh, it's possible. And, and, you know, the, the chairs keep cycling, you know, John Hines got extended by a year uh, in Nashville. So he's got two years left on his deal from now. You know, that was kind of up in the air, what they would do. Um, who else is looking for a coach? It feels like everybody's looking for a coach right now. It does kind of feel that way. Uh, shout and out I mentioned to Dallas, right? I think Rick bonus, it sounds Rick like bonus. likely to retire uh, or move aside, I think on his own doing. So there's, there's, there's a, pile of jobs out there you know we haven't yet heard back from what's going to happen in chicago you know where, where Derek king was an interim coach i mean this has been a this has been a meat grinder of a year for those working in sort of front-facing hockey positions there's just been a lot of turnover at the gm and coach level yeah it's kind of interesting on some of the interim jobs like Derek king martin san louis at least those two guys come to mind in terms of guys on interim deals who have not necessarily been resolved yet if they're going to i mean i i in montreal i mean all signs are pointing for Martin St. Louis to come back, but maybe he just wants some time off just to not deal with it. And Kent Hughes is probably at the world championships. So maybe that's why it's taking so long, but it is interesting that that has not been uh, resolved yet. Well, and they have to sign a contract. You know, Martin St. Louis is the rare coach who's coached as few games in the NHL as he has. What It's got to be less than 50, right? Who, who I would argue has some leverage. You know, he, he showed results there. Uh, he showed you enough to, to believe this could be a great longer term fit. And, you know, we've been through it on this podcast, but you know, the whole bilingual coaching issue, like he, he ticks that box, but he's sort of fresh blood in that space. Plus let's face it. He's, he's made a lot of money in his career. Like he doesn't have to do this. Um, you know, he does have a young family. Like he's got the family considerations. I'm sure all things being equal, he'd love to continue being coach of the team, but he's not going to do it at a discount. I wouldn't expect. And so, there's a, that's a unique negotiation and, and, you know, you got to sign them to a contract. I would think July 7th, that's the day of the first round of the draft, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. You know, you're going to want him, you're going to want him in the fold full time by that point in time, if you're Montreal. And so, yeah, it's not necessarily a rush, but you know, we're, we're mid May to getting towards late May here uh, that they got to get that piece of business done here in the next six weeks or so. Uh, Lane Lambert, we can't forget about him. Uh, he succeeds uh, Barry Trotz uh, on the island. And I think Barry Trotz is happy about it. Lane Lambert's been a part of his staffs almost everywhere he's been. Back to Nashville. Yeah. And, and I mentioned that when we did the emergency pod when I was in the Tampa airport that you know, when we were trying to unpack why the Islanders would let go of Barry Trotz. I think one of the factors there was that Lane Lambert was 
garnering interest from other teams. You know, I think he's someone Detroit would have looked at for, for its opening. I think the Winnipeg Jets would have had some interest in Lane Lambert and possibly some of these others openings that we're talking about as well. And so, you know, if, if you're the Islanders and you feel like you have the next guy you want anyway, right there, I mean, you, you had to act in that moment because all signs are starting to point to him getting a job as a head coach somewhere else. And, and therefore you'd be losing him off your bench. Okay. So that's pretty much it for the coaching roundup. We were able to get through that pretty efficiently. So I think all we have left is stick taps. Uh, do you have a stick tap? Do you have anyone who is deserving of some love this week? I was hoping I know who my pick first. is. Okay. Cause I was just going to give it to Brady Kachuk for supporting his brother. I, I think oh, yeah? that's enough. Yeah. I think that's cool. I genuinely think it's cool. And the way he's going about it is like really fun. Uh, also, uh, a, uh, honorable mention to Keith Kachuk for, uh, holding on to his hat after his son scored a hat trick goal. I am not crazy about throwing your hat onto the ice when a hat trick is scored. If you have a nice looking hat, like the one you're wearing from North no Standard chance Coast, I'd be throwing this on the ice for a hat trick. You know what I'm saying? Like honorable mention, but Brady Kachuk, I will give him a stick tap for being out here with his brother and well, supporting his brother. We're in the, uh, the fr- we're the, uh, the neutral t-shirt uh, with Matthew on it and uh, you know, showing up. That's a, that's a really cool thing. So I'm going to give him my stick tap. All right. My stick tap goes to the beer salesman at the Scotiabank saddle dome, who has been keeping Brady Kachuk well uh, <laughs> hydrated during these games. I know that's a, a tough job, but someone out there is doing great work behind the scenes and giving us all lots of reasons to smile. So stick tap to you. Good, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, but you two beers in the back pocket, man. I didn't even notice just... that. Like when I first saw the clip last night, like in real time during the game, I know like I was enjoying it. And then when my brother-in-law sent it to me this morning, I actually noticed the beers in the back pocket. I'm like, wow, he's he's packing heat. <laughs> in the back. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if uh if they still do this at the saddle dome, but they do in the playoffs, but in the regular season, they have like a happy hour leading up to the game for beers. And so, like, if you get in there early enough, the, the beers are half price uh, because they want you to arrive early. So maybe maybe Brady stocked up on some half price beers, and that's why he had them all in every pocket. To be clear, he's talking about beer and not some of that flora and fauna stuff that real OGs of this podcast would know about. Anyway, that's going to yeah, do it. My buddy Brandon wasn't with him, so I know he was okay. No, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> they, they weren't tripping on some funny stuff. All right. We've done enough. CJ, a pleasure to doing these episodes always. 70th episode of the podcast. Look at us. This is our, is it Braden Holtby number 70? This is our Braden Holtby yeah. episode. Yeah, this is the Braden Holtby episode. I like that. We've so got a Getty Malkin on tap on Monday, so you better bring your heat. Oh, and if we're going to talk, if, if 71 is that, then maybe we got to start talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins a little bit more on this podcast. They have a lot of decisions to consider this offseason. I love that. I love that too. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching on YouTube. If that is your way of watching these podcasts, subscribe to our show, wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube channel, subscribe to the discord SDPN.ca. You can find the discord link there. All the podcasts on the SDPN shout out to everyone uh, hosting game over Calgary. Uh, That's going to get a lot of play uh, with the battle of Alberta in full swing so you be be sure to check that out on the sdpn youtube page after every calgary flames game that's enough housekeeping for siege i'm julian so long peace we'll see you all if you're in canada guys be safe
Yes, be safe. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.